everybody, and welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So how has your past week been, Jimmy? Let's catch up our audience on what we've all been doing. Um, well, I don't know. I guess people don't know this about me, but I did. I do like to invest some money every now and then into some cryptocurrency. And a few months ago, I invested in Dogecoin when it was two cents. So I just sold all my Dogecoin. But if anyone's been watching the crypto world, like Doge kind of spiked really high this week. I have not been keeping up with it. How high did it get? It got to 47 cents. From two? That is amazing. Yeah. So I know like when I explain it, when you say it to people, it doesn't sound like that much. But imagine like something you put two pennies in the machine and it gives you 47 pennies back. But if you put like I did $60 worth and I got a little over a thousand dollars in return. Yeah, that's a win. So, and um, I pulled out, I heard rumors that it's going to go up even higher. Uh, If you're listening to this, it's probably already happened. So uh, don't trust me on your advice. I kind of got lucky on this i stumbled a friend told me about it i stumbled into it i pulled out my money and you know just in time because we had hail over where i'm living in uh, austin texas and it was golf balls golf ball size hail and it cracked my windshield so i gotta get my windshield changed yeah i heard about that it was pretty bad um but i heard like yeah, I heard how bad it was for people with a golf ball-sized tail. Yeah, I can't imagine. I was lucky that I was already home from work. And I, when I heard it coming down, I was like, oh, my car is not going to survive this. And there's a whole bunch of little divots in my roof and on my hood and on my trunk where you could see where the hail hit. But, man, I can't imagine... If you were stuck outside, like you were walking to your car and it was happening. I've never had that misfortune. I've always been lucky enough to just, like, just, I think the closest I've gotten is I got inside, like, two minutes before the big hit, this big storm hit. But, yeah, I've never had that misfortune of being, like, outside right as a giant uh, hailstorm hit. I think, the, the, the so one time comes to mind. And this was, gosh, 12, 13, maybe 14 years ago when I was living in San Antonio and I was still in college. uh, I went to my friend's coffee shop. My friend owned a coffee shop near campus. And uh, so what had happened was, I guess, so we had some, uh, it had been really dry for the past few months. And so some smoke, or not smoke, but like a a dust storm from Mexico came in. And so, you know, for the past few weeks, we've had all this dust in the air. But then all of a sudden it rained. So the rain kind of pushed down the dust and it's essentially rained mud. And so like everybody's cars was just caked in mud and everything. And like the next few days, you just, every gas, uh, not gas station, every car wash just had a line of cars out of it. Like literally um, almost a minute after I stepped into my friend's coffee shop, it started raining. And I'm like, man, I would have been caked in mud or something had I 
had I come in just a minute or two later. Wow, that oh, that's insane. Have you have you ever been to like where the rain stops? You know, like where it's heavy raining one, and then you cross over, and it's like nothing. Yeah, that actually happened at one of my old apartments in Austin that I lived in. Um, so, like, you know, there's you walk, you step out of the apartment, and there's a breezeway, and you can, you know, you can either turn left and turn right, come out of the front or the back of the apartment building. Coming out of the front of the apartment building, it was raining, but coming out of the back, it wasn't, and so that was just kind of weird. Yeah, it's just yeah. I I always, as a kid, I always thought they were like. It was the most amazing thing. Yeah, that's good old Texas weather for you. I mean, I think I could think of a handful of times where it was like raining on one side of the street, but on the other side, it really wasn't like uh, on, not on, on the street, but like the highway. And then there's the median in the highway. And so like on one side of the median, you saw it was wet and people had windshield wipers on and stuff. But then on our side, it wasn't. Yeah, I <laughs> That, that, yeah, as a kid, that would always amaze me. Like, that, and I was obsessed with finding ends of rainbows. Just like, I never chased them, but I would look at rainbows and be like, I want to find where it touches the ground. Yeah. It's always funny, because, like, ground, I've seen a few, like, full rainbows in my life, but I, it seems to me like every time I ever see a rainbow in real life, it's always just, like, a piece of it. Like, it's just, like, a small, like, you know, scribble of it or something, or a small, like, fraction of the arc. Or, or a fraction of the arch, rather. Uh, but it's never like, you know, like you see in the cartoons or TV shows where it's just the full, full-on arch from one end to the other. True. Yeah, that is true. I don't think I've ever seen, like, a full rainbow. I've seen the double rainbow once. I was driving home from work and I saw a double rainbow. I was like, you know what? Today is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Every time you see a rainbow, it's always a little like, oh, okay. It's going to be a good day. Yeah. So, but yeah, made a lot of money in cryptocurrency. Not a lot, but I mean, my return was very high, but it's going back into the car. You know, I got to get my car fixed. My taillight also got broken by the hail. So, you know, there's all that. Yeah, I have never been that lucky with crypto, unfortunately. I've ne- granted, you know, I guess you have to, you got to play to win or whatnot. I've never really gotten into crypto. Um, I always, I always like, I guess, worry about having the bad luck of as soon as I jump into it, it's going to like crash That's or tr- something. Like, yeah, you never know uh, what's going to happen with it. I used to use a little Bitcoin and I, the thing about cryptocurrency is it never sleeps. It's always moving. So while you're asleep, it's going up and down. And I don't know. Some people can find a way to make it work for them. I finally found my way. And uh, I always say my advice, uh, don't put more than you're willing to lose. In. So if you put $100, just be prepared to lose the $100. Yeah, I feel like that's a good rule for investment in general. Granted, unless you're investing in like an unknown company, you're probably not going to go to zero. But yeah, if you're investing in like a relatively new one or something, or you know what I mean, it's, it, you know, it could go. It, 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 crypto, it's like you can either become super rich or super poor in like a, in a fraction of time. Yeah, I just, you know, like 
just have fun with it if you're diving in. Just like don't expect this to like make you a millionaire. If it does, then that's a great coincidence. If not, then you know you had fun and you hopefully you learned something. I agree. Just you know, it's fun I guess to throw in like five bucks towards or something if you're feeling if you're feeling a little uh, boisterous, if you will. Yeah, that's definitely how I do it. Just, you know, a little bit, nothing, not too much, but uh, I definitely had fun doing it and, you know, made some money, so I'm happy. Nice. That's all you can do, I guess. Just try your best. There's so many cryptos out there. I don't even know, like, if I wanted to get started, I wouldn't even know where to go, where to start, because, like, Obviously, Bitcoin is like the granddaddy of them all, but there it's also like sixty thousand a coin or something like that right now. Yeah, it's like if you want to get started, you're gonna you're only gonna buy like a semi fraction of one, or you'll just drop sixty k. But I'm sure there's better ways to spend your money if you have that much. Oh, I can think of at least two better ways, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, one day maybe I'll get into it more. I'm still old school stocks and ETFs and that kind of thing. I I understand you on that. Uh, I also I I was trying to do all the GameStop thing when that was happening, but it didn't work out. Just as, I didn't lose money, but you know I jumped on the train a little too late for that one. Mm, what can you say? That's all you can. That's you know if you get onto it late, you get onto it late. I, I think. By the time your aunt, what's the saying? It's like by the time your aunt's heard about it, it is then it's too late. <laughs> True. True. But uh, what did you do this past week? Not much. I went on a hike, virtual brunch, just kind of hung out, and I played a lot of uh, I played a lot of video games this weekend, largely because like from the next week, I think starting tomorrow or the next day, I'm not going to be looking at screens much because I'm getting LASIK and. Granted, they, you know, they say you can, but I think that first, like definitely that first day, you're just supposed to rest your eyes and try not to look at screens unless you absolutely need to. And then like the following days, you can look at screens, but, you know, take, they say, take tons of breaks. So I'm just like, uh, I know how I get when I play games. I, for, you know, I kind of get into the zone and stuff. So I'm just gonna, just gonna limit my screen time for the next few weeks. Or at least the next week. Nice. Uh, any particular game? Dynasty Warriors Nine. It kind of it's just reminiscent to me, or a little reminiscent to me, because I used to play it all the time with like friends and stuff back in the PlayStation Two days. The I think Dynasty Warriors Three at that time. So little, you know, little reminiscent. Uh, it's it's a definitely different. You know, six generations later. Um, I think now it's like more of an open world game. And apparently I guess there's a lot of, yeah, I guess there's a lot of people who argue that the franchise has lost its way, but you know. Well, I mean, I might have to check it out. Yeah. Other than that, not too much. That that was about it. It was, but it was a, it was a nice relaxing weekend yeah, before another crazy week. And of course I watched the show so that we could do the podcast. I, I did as well. And, what a two episodes it was. Yeah. So today when we cover the episodes, we're going to do it a little differently. So in the past we've done like, we'll do an, ep- I'll, re- I'll recap an episode. 
We'll review it. I'll recap the second episode. We'll review it. This time, I'm going to just do the straight recap of the two episodes. Because even though it's two completely separate episodes, it just, it does it just, it feels like it would be abrupt if we, if we did it the Norway we normally did it. So we'll just do the two episodes and then review them all together in the end. How does that sound? That sounds great to me. All right. So let's jump right into it. And we have episode 62 and 63. We're, we're almost done there, guys. Like, I think one more episode after this. Um, a fierce counterattack and the other side of the gate. <clears throat> so let's start with 62. So Father has arrived to the surface and he sees a number of Briggs soldiers. He attempts to suck the life out of them in order to create a Philosopher's Stone. He starts absorbing their life force or their soul, but it's, he is subsequently stopped by Hohenheim who throws large rock thing at him, you know, using alchemy. Hohenheim is soon joined by Mei Chang, Izumi, and of course Alphonse. Father asks, well, what else are humans good for other than being an energy source? Then Hohenheim asks why he considers them lower life forms. I mean, only through humans can a Philosopher's Stone be made, and only through a Philosopher's Stone can a homunculus be made. But from there, essentially the homunculi are at a dead end. They don't create anything. They're just forces of destruction. Father then says he can create. He then creates like these humans that kind of fall out of his body and they look like Xerxians, like old Xerxians. We see the king of Xerxes and he's walking towards Hohenheim talking about how he finally has immortality. Uh, then we see like a little baby walk up to Izumi and then a bunch of people walk up to Alphonse saying, you know, my body, my body, I, I finally have a body. It seems like this is some kind of ruse by uh, Father, or at least that's what it appears to me, that it's some kind of ruse to kind of distract them. Because shortly after, he unleashes an attack, like this large energy beam, uh, just as Ed appears too. So talk about bad luck. And this energy attack just totally devastates, devastates Central Command. So we see underground, everybody else is starting to join and they bump into Green and Lanfon and everybody else being a, a bunch of soldiers, Olivier, uh, C, Curtis, uh, and a few others. <clears throat> Green tells him that Father is going berserk and he needs help from everybody in order to win. Well, correction, he needs help from everyone who is able-bodied. He tells the injured people, Gerso, Olivier, and Riza, to get off. He doesn't have time to babysit or deal with them as they are fighting. Naturally, Olivier is upset to hear that. They soon get a call from the soldiers from HQ, and they say that half of Central Command has disappeared. Essentially, you know, Father just destroyed it. This points out that Father is super powerful, Greed mentions that he is powered by Philosopher's Stone and he has the power of God. So he will be a force to be reckoned with. And that's why only people who are able to fight should deal with him. Again, Olivier refuses to quit. Her men needs to need her. <clears throat> but then she hears the men on, over the radio on HQ say that, hey, you know, we are trained as Briggs soldiers to act as one unit and we don't necessarily need command in order to do that you're injured so please stay put and we'll handle things so she gives the phone radio thing to alex and tells him to keep in contact and be sure to win and alex says of course 
Mustang says that he is going and he needs Riza with him because she will service his eyes and he plans on burning the stone. And then, of course, Lanfon insists on coming too to protect, uh, <clears throat> to protect the body of Ling. After Alex and the team leave and, you know, they create like a platform to go up to the surface, Olivier notices the corpse of the Fuhrer. She also sees Scar and asks if he killed Bradley. Scar says that he did, but Bradley was already severely injured when he showed up. Had he not been injured, Scar most likely would have lost. Olivier flashes back to hearing about Buccaneer's death and how he managed to land a fatal blow on the Fuhrer. Olivier leans over his corpse and says, like I said, Briggs' men are as tough as they come. Returning topside, Mei Chang is passed out and Xiao Mei wakes her up. She soon sees Alphonse. His armor is like half destroyed. He used his body to shield Mei Chang from the blast. Alphonse isn't dead, but his armor is too beaten up for him to really move. Ed comes to as well. His arm is damaged, but functioning, uh, his automobile arm to be precise. He sees Azumi, and she says that they are alive because of Hohenheim. We see that Hohenheim shielded Ed and Azumi. However, that act of bravery took a lot out of him and kind of rendered him weak. I guess he used up some of his Philosopher's Stone to shield them. Father appears behind Hohenheim and knocks him out and knocks him to the side. Father begins to absorb Azumi and Ed's soul. Hohenheim begs him to stop, but he does it. When all hope seems lost, Father takes a bullet to the head. We see that a Briggs soldier took a shot at him. This stops Father and saves Ed and Azumi as other Briggs soldiers show up to pull them away from the area. The entire squad, actually a bunch of squads from Briggs show up, and they set up mortars and guns and everything you can think of. They fire upon Father, but he uses his stone to create an energy shield around him to protect him. Ed tells the soldiers that it's bad, as he didn't even flinch from that attack. The soldiers put out the command to keep fighting and not give Father a chance to fire back. HQ all of a sudden gets a message from, well, somebody. They then relay the message and tell all the soldiers to stop and take cover. We then see the white glove snap and fire appear, taking the, sh the shape of a large dragon and hit Father. Of course, that means that Mustang, Riza, and Alex have joined the fight. Riza is giving Mustang commands on where to attack. Uh, he snaps and attacks Father, but Father then re redirects this blast back at them. Mustang now uses his new clapping transmutation skills to create a rock barrier to protect them from the flames. Like, if there were an Avengers Endgame moment to this anime series, this would definitely be it, because we're seeing pretty much everybody we've met up to this point, minus maybe a few people like Winry and Panako, joining sides to fight against Father. Greed is on the sidelines, kind of watching everything as it happens, and he's impressed. He just can't wait to get a hold of Father's power for himself. Link questions if that is actually what he wants. And Greed says yes, because maybe he'll finally feel the void that he was born with. And Ling mocks him for being kind of ignorant. And, of course, Greed retorts and saying, you know, he's Greed. He wants everything. That's, that's who he is. Despite everyone's best effort, 
Father is still able to block their attacks with his shield and really isn't taking any damage. Father mocks them, saying that they can't even hope to lay a finger on him. Greed appears out of nowhere and questions, well, hey, maybe a human can't, but how about homunculus? He punches Father in the face, but his fist actually gets absorbed into Father's face. Greed being a homunculus, he has a philosopher's stone. So Father begins absorbing and Greed acts like he's in pain, but then it turns out that he's just acting. He says that once Father starts absorbing a stone, he loses the ability to generate a shield. And of course, you know, he's not strong enough to where he can defend himself against Greed trying to absorb the stone. So Greed slowly starts to absorb the stone. But then Father starts to absorb Greed. And as that confusion takes mm -hmm. place, Alex and Nazumi show up and start attacking Father. And Father's like having to dodge and all that fun stuff. Father lets out an energy blast to kind of get everybody away from him. And then that blast is enough that it destroys Ed's auto mail arm. But Ed keeps fighting. And everybody else keeps fighting, in particular, Azumi, Alex, and Ed. And at some point, when Ed kicks him, Father uses his arm to defend rather than using his shield, which is suggesting that he is running out of Philosopher's Stone energy. He is now losing control and cannot continue to contain the power of God. He is in pain, and he lets out another energy blast, which creates a, like a giant crater and tosses everyone aside. Ed is unfortunate as he is tossed into a slab of concrete and he is impaled, or anyway, his arm is impaled by Rebar, essentially pinning him. He can't get up. Father starts to approach Ed in order to absorb him and turn him into a stone. Ed being pinned, well, he's unable to escape. Al is screaming for Father to stop, but Al is too helpless as his armor is not in great shape. I mean, he doesn't even have functioning legs at this point. Al then has a realization. Ed gave up his arm in order for Al's soul to come back. So in theory, wouldn't the reverse be true? Al asks May to help him perform one last transmutation. As Father approaches Ed, we see May's kunai fly into the wall, creating her alkahestry circle. Ed looks over to Al and wonders what he is doing and asks him to stop. Al does his transmutation and then we see him at the gate. He sees his body, and at this point, he grabs onto his body, and his soul rejoins. We then see Truth, and he acknowledges that Al has his body back. Then he begins to wonder if Ed will come back for him, and Al says with confidence that Ed will. We see Ed's arm vanish from Truth, and then Truth pretty much says he can't wait to see what Ed is willing to sacrifice. Returning to the fight, we see that Ed has gotten his arm back. Ed is shocked as he realizes what this means. He yells that Al is a dumbass, and then he transmutes a pillar to knock Father back. He pulls the rebar out of his arm, and in anger, fights Father. He is transmuting all sorts of weapons and really just giving it to Father. Father is helpless. Everyone on the sidelines sees that this is working and yell out words of encouragement. Everybody's yelling, go, Ed, go, full metal. Greed is watching on the sidelines as everyone is cheering. And Ling then points out to Greed that this is what he really wants, isn't it? Greed says yes, he's always wanted to have friends like this. The episode ends with Ed knocking Father to the ground, 
and Ed asking him to skip back up because this is a fight that he's going to lose. And we jump to episode 63, The Other Side of the Gateway. The episode opens with like a 400-year flashback with the father when he's still in the flask. And he's talking to Hohenheim when Hohenheim's still a slave and asks him, you know, do you want to be free? Or do you plan on spending the rest of your life as a slave? If you are, well, then you are no different than me confined to this flask. In modern times, Ed is just punching father. Father is confused. He's absorbed the powers of God. How could he lose to a mere human fighting him with his bare fists? Ed uppercuts him and he falls to the ground. Everyone cheers because they think Ed has finished father. But then father is about to lose God's power. We see like the eye popping out of his mouth, but then he covers his mouth and he's able to maintain it. But the process of doing that releases another energy blast. Uh, a soldier falls back, Reed captures him and helps him out. All of a sudden, father gets back up, lunges towards Greed and puts his hand into Greed's uh, abdomen. He's starting to absorb Greed's stone. So this next bit actually happens inside of Greed. And so it's like Greed's soul and Ling's soul communicating. We see that Greed's soul is being like sucked into a, a, a portal or a vortex. And Ling is holding on to it. Ling refuses to let go of Greed because he needs Greed if he wants to be Emperor Xing. But Greed says, you know, he's being absorbed back into father. Uh, he, there's, you know, father is what he's come from. So there's just no, ex there's no escaping this. He is going to be absorbed by father. And it just doesn't make sense for Ling to be absorbed as well. But Ling is just refusing to let go. So Greed says that, hey, you know, I might not become a uh, ruler of the world, but I'm fine with becoming Emperor Xing. Let's team up and defeat father. So this kind of gets Ling off guard and he agrees to join the fight. But this was obviously just a ruse as Greed punches Ling in the face, resulting in Ling losing grip of Greed and letting go. Greed says that he, it just doesn't make sense for both of them to get absorbed into father. And then, of course, Ling is upset. He doesn't want to lose Greed. Uh, obviously, he needs him to become Emperor of Xing. And then he's also upset because Greed, I guess, has this rule that he never lies. And Greed said, hey, this is the only lie I've ever told and that I ever will tell. And he says that Long Fong has a Philosopher's Stone, so he doesn't even really need him anymore. Uh, so then we go outside of Greed's body. Greed tells Long Fawn to show up. And Lan Fawn appears and cuts Father's arm. As soon as she cuts Father's arm, this severs the connection between Father's body and Ling's body. We see the Ouroboros tattoo fade off of Ling's hand. So this shows that Ling is no longer homunculus. He is in complete control of his body now. No longer has the Philosopher's Stone in him. And as Father absorbs Greed, Greed then takes this opportunity to reverse his ultimate shield. So instead of turning the body into like this really hard carbon, he turns it into the most fragile carbon he can think of. Father uses his only available hand to pull out Greed's soul and rip it out. Of course, this process breaks that hand as well because he's just like super fragile carbon, like think of pencil graphite or something. Uh, 
this obviously is the end of Ling, and as Ling's soul kind of floats away and starts to, to dissipate into the air, he thinks a little bit about it, and then he kind of reflects on the times that he had with Ling and Ed and realizes that, you know, this was enough. That was all he ever needed was the friends, and he thanks them as he fades away. Unfortunately, uh, being the next homunculi to die, or the next of the homunculi to die, rather. Uh, so now, without his hands, Father tries to defend himself, but he is unable to. Ed runs and punches right through his stomach. Through this new giant hole in Father's abdomen, all of the souls that he had remaining in his Philosopher's Stone flood out and go out into the air, presumably to the afterlife, because, you know, they don't have any bodies to return to since they're 400 years old. <laughs> At this point, Father freaks out because he's been defeated and the little tendrils that we normally see coming from the gate start to come out of that little hole in his body and they essentially start to pull him back into himself and then he just vanishes we're immediately taken to the gate and father in his true form the little spherical blob that we saw on the flask 400 years ago is seen in front of the gate and he's kind of questioning why God didn't want to join him. God being on the other side of the gate. We then see truth who in his normal fashion is mocking people, but also takes kind of the mirror uh, image of whoever it is he's talking to. So truth now looks like a little orb. Uh, here. Uh, so truth starts to mock father truth says that father was incapable of believing himself he stole power from others and he he rejected his origins by hating humanity and he thought of himself as superior he coveted god's power so really he just never developed over the course of 400 years and really did he think that removing all of his seven desires would somehow make him superior and father kind of asks, you know, what's wrong with that? What's wanting? What's wrong with wanting to be perfect? What's wrong with wanting all the knowledge? And then he just asks, you know, well, who who are you? And then truth does his little line about how he is everything and whatnot when he introduces it. And then father realizes, oh snap, I'm talking to truth. And he reflects on a statement he made earlier about truth and how he punishes those arrogant enough to play God. So father realizes things are not going to end well for him. Truth now imparts this punishment on Father. The gate opens and the tendrils come out. Father is now returning to the gate where he originated from, and he's going to become one with, well, one with the deity or one with God, but instead of him being the dominant, he is uh, just going to be absorbed and spend the rest of eternity as part of the gate. Father cries out the whole time and asking, what could I have done better? But Truth fails to respond, and he's pulled in the gate, which slams shut. We go back to the battlefield. Everyone is surrounding Al's body. Al hasn't woken up, nor will he, as his soul has left his armor. Ed is angry, and he's just trying to think of a way to get Al's body back. Mei Chang is crying over having even agreed to help him. Ling offers a Philosopher's Stone. But Ed rejects it. No matter how much he wants to use it, he swore never to use one to get their bodies back. Ed just keeps thinking and thinking and thinking of ways to get him back. Hohenheim then appears and offers his body. He says that he has enough life left over to trade. Ed refuses to sacrifice Hohenheim or anyone, really. 
he just he asks why should he suffer for their mistakes Hohenheim says it's because he's their father and that's all that matters. He just wants the boys to be happy and he feels somewhat responsible for this all happening in the first place. Had he been there, this may not have happened. Uh, he asks Ed for one last time to be a good father. Ed starts crying and calls Hohenheim a rotten father and tells him never to say anything like that or he'll knock him out. Hohenheim, of course, apologizes. Ed keeps thinking, you know, he's the youngest state alchemist ever. He's opened the gate before. Like, he's talented enough. He, there's got to be a way for him to get Alphonse back. May is still crying, and Ed's kind of shocked that May cares so much about Al. He looks around at all of his friends, and Ed gets an idea, and he looks at his hands. So he stands up, asks May to leave, and he starts to draw on the ground. He draws a human transmutation circle. And he says, everybody stand back and watch his final transmutation. He transmutes and he goes to the truth world or the gate world, whatever you want to call it, the white expanse. And truth asks, you know, well, what did you bring to get your brother back? Surely you're not going to trade your entire body. Ed says, nope, I am trading my gate. And truth looks a little befuddled by this, but Ed says, hey, it's my gate. I can trade it if I want. And Truth mocks him, saying, you know, well, it's come to this. You do realize that if you give up your gate, you're going to lose your ability to do alchemy. And it's like, yeah, I know that gate control uh, access to all the secrets of the universe and is my way of doing alchemy. And alchemy has led me astray, though. It made me think I was more powerful than I was. Truth asks if he's all right with going back to being just another lowly human and Ed says, well, I've always been a lowly human. I've never not been a lowly human. I wasn't even able to save a little girl. Truth asks, you know, are you sure about this? Because once you get rid of it, you'll never be able to do alchemy again. Ed wonders and he thinks back to all of his friends and all of his friends calling his name and stuff. And then Ed says, who needs it when I have all of them in my life? Truth says, you've done it. You've beaten me. That's the correct answer. Congratulations for having defeated me. Uh, there's your brother. There's there's his gate. That's the way out. Goodbye, El Edward Elric. Ed <clears throat> Goodbye, Edward Elric. Ed's gate and, of course, the truth vanish. Ed then approaches Al and his body. The gate opens and they leave. And now Al is finally back in the real world with his body. We hear a radio broadcast that's kind of explaining that there was a nationwide alchemic experiment conducted by traitorous senior staff, but they have now been arrested. Armstrong uh, and Mustang are painted as the heroes, and Mustang will be personally overseeing all matters of national security now that the fear is gone. They also mention, of course, that Bradley and Salim are dead, but they never mention that they were part of the experiments. They just say that they died amongst the mayhem. Hohenheim is standing in the battlefield in the evening by himself. He's kind of reflecting back at the time when he first met the dwarf in the flask, and he realizes that, you know, even after all this, he was still a part of him, and you know, just kind of, you know, thinking about that. Alex Armstrong shows up and lets Hohenheim know that he saw to it personally that the boys got checked into the hospital. Hohenheim thanks Alex, but Alex says, nonsense. Uh, the whole nation is in a giant debt to the brothers because of the brothers 
courage and determination, they were able to save the nation, and he thanks Hohenheim. Hohenheim begins to cry, walks away, and thanks Alex. Hohenheim returns to Risible and visits Trisha's grave. He tells her that he is home finally. He says that Ed finally called him father, though he prefaced it with rotten. Hohenheim thanks Trisha because, you know, he says that he always felt like he was cursed until he met her and had the boys and really just had a life. And this was the first time he actually felt that he was alive and good. And he thanks Trisha for having, he thanks Trisha for giving him a fulfilling life. And then Hohenheim mentions that he wants to keep on living now. We also see that Hohenheim's body is going through some kind of weird change. Morning comes and Pinaco sees Hohenheim at, at uh, Trisha's grave. She is shocked to see him and, you know, goes to check and says, Hohenheim, I didn't know you were here. And as she, you know, goes around to the front of his body, she looks and starts crying. And she says, oh, you, you silly fool. Well, at least you died with a smile on your face. And it reveals that Hohenheim aged overnight and died with a smile on his face over Trisha's grave. Credits roll, and we see a montage of Hohenheim's life. So, a lot happened. I want to hear your initial thoughts. Oh, a lot did happen. Oh, man. I, I feel like I've been talking about this since maybe two seasons ago, but I've been waiting for this moment where everyone came together. And it was like everyone. I really wish Winry was there. I really feel like, I don't know, maybe she couldn't have picked up a gun. I don't think a gun is her style. Um, but I do wish she was, like, in the vicinity. But other than that, like, we had, like, every character who was still alive there. And, oh, man. Mustang being led by Hawkeye on, like, she is his eyes. And when that flame came through to hit father, I was just, uh, I was, it, I got out of my seat. It was uh, the best thing. Yes, absolutely. And it was just a, gosh, like, like I mentioned in the podcast, like I felt like that was the Avengers Endgame moment when the bullet came and hit father. And like, you know, they said your targets, the man with the tall, uh, the, the tall man with the blonde hair and be sure not to hit full metal and we see all the soldiers show up like that was to me the portal scene and showing that everybody the team was there and everybody was working together to defeat father and just firing off bullets and mortar rounds and everything trying to force father to use up all of his philosopher's stones. true and i i feel like there may be like a better way to be like there are three tall guys with long blonde hair in this fight, maybe I, I believe father was shirtless the whole time. Maybe you just be like the shirtless guy. But I uh, mean, well, um, if General Armstrong's there, then maybe like that's confusing, too. I guess there is no best way of describing. Just shoot father. But they did. They only shot him. So they understood. Yes. I, I mean, gosh, I can't even like this is like the most giddiest episode. Basically, like there's so there's so much to unpack there. So you have like the beginning parts where, you know, it's just Alphonse and Hohenheim and 
in them trying to fight against father and then father overpowers them. And at first he creates like the fake humans. And I fully think like, you know, it, at first I'm confused, was confused. Cause like they made it clear that they all lost their individuality over these past 400 years, but they seem to know who they were. But I think that they were just puppets that father was controlling. And it wasn't the actual King of Xerxes because it was like really on point when he, when he had them reach out to the people. So like a baby crawls up to Azumi Curtis and plays with her feet, which would obviously like shock her because it would, it would trigger her bad memories of, of losing her baby and then using alchemy to try to bring him back. And then of course, Alphonse is surrounded by a bunch of people saying, you know, a body, I finally got myself a body and stuff. So that really like, screwed with Alphonse's sense. And then of course the King of Xerxes telling Hohenheim, you know, I'm finally, I finally achieved immortality. Isn't this great? So I think that was just meant to distract or disturb them. And because shortly after he launches a large attack on them. Yeah, that I did think, uh, maybe it was almost the same as, uh, what Hohenheim did, you know, like he kind of, was able to separate all the souls, but then you quickly remember who Hohenheim is compared to who father is. Hohenheim spent that all those years learning about each person within him. And I feel like father could care less. Yeah. Father, even father seemed really confused by it all because I remember when, when he said, Oh, um, gosh, what was it? He said something to the effect of how did, how did you maintain their individuality and stuff? Like father didn't even seem to think it was possible. Once the soul split from the body, they just become nothing but energy and, and pain, but not individual people. And then Hohenheim released his secrets. So it makes me feel like there's no way father would have kept their souls separate. Yeah. And uh, that was awesome. And then like the Mustang thing, but I feel like the topper for me for this first part was greed and uh, greed kind of when we first see him, I don't know, like when we first see him in this episode and he's talking about like, I want that power. That's the power that I need. And if I had that power, then I it would satisfy me talking about father and we see him go in. And he punches father, and father's like, this is exactly what I needed. He wants Greed's Philosopher's Stone, and Greed has other plans. And like I've been saying, this whole anime, I feel like I'm a broken record, but every death has an impact. And Greed's death got me this episode. And just him sacrificing himself and Ling trying to hold on. And then Gree letting himself uh, go for for the team, like this team that we I I always had my doubts about is Greed a hundred percent with us or is he kind of always looking for his own thing? Yeah, absolutely. Because like, gosh, uh, it, I'm trying to think of a good way to put it, like. Yeah, he was obviously self-serving, and it would be wrong to think, like, up to this point that he was a genuinely good guy, or, or, or one of the heroes. It was just more like, they happen to be aligned, and the fact that they, that, 
you know, the good guys and him both hated father, but they had their different motivations. But yeah, that last few minutes of his life where he's with, with Ling and, you know, he sacrifices himself ultimately to save Ling. And then he, with like his last act of life, he helps them out by uh, weakening father. And then he gets pulled out and killed. And, you know, even in his last thoughts, you can tell that he is, you know, he's still a little bit of greed in there because he refers to them as little jerks. Like, oh, why are you giving me those looks, little jerks and stuff? Uh, but then he like, you know, dies happy, thanking them for the friendship that he gave him or that they gave him. And I love like that part is kind of, oh, man, I get the feels right now thinking about it because we get a little bit of this when we first meet Greed back in the beginning. And he's got that group of like his chimera gang. And when he's dying in this episode and he's like. I am satisfied. Like he says, like, I am satisfied. And it's because of the friendship that Ling and Ed gave him. And that's what Greed really wanted. Like, I think, yes, he, he desired to rule or like have this kind of knowledge of the world or, or whatever kind of father was going for. But, but what truly satisfied him was this friendship and like this really human aspect of it. And gosh, it just thinking about it, I'm just like, that was such a great moment. And uh, all these characters, like I said, like all these characters, these deaths, like Greed's death, it just like, it hits you. And it was like, those last words were just so perfect. Yes, I agree. Like it showed, it showed like his own growth as a character. And yeah I, I he's no longer just he's he's really the only homunculi i'd argue who has any kind of redemption arc to him which was great and it, yeah it was sad to see him go but he also did the right thing in the end and also like the end of the first episode where he has that realization that he doesn't really want everything in the world like when he talks about how oh um you know i i he makes that point that he wants the power, but it's not even because of an evil reason or anything. He wants the power because he thinks he'll finally fill that hole in him that he was born with because he's just naturally greedy. So enough is never enough for him. But then when he has that realization that really all he ever wanted was friends, like that got me too. Like just the that level of growth that he had. Uh, yeah, and like... And I'm at this point of the episode, I'm already like having the feels and I'm getting like emotional. And then we get Al sacrificing himself so that Ed can win this fight. And dang, poor May having to do that. But I feel like she also understood that this was the only way. Yes, because, you know, so Al, Al has like that, uh, that realization when he's begging father to stop going towards Ed and Ed's pinned and Everybody we see, everybody else is kind of knocked out from the energy blast. So there's nobody to save Ed. So Ed was unfortunately going to have his soul ripped from him. And Al just has that realization that, oh, well, if Ed has his other arm, he might stand a chance. 
Ed gave up his arm in order to bring me back. So if I willingly give up my soul, he should get his arm back. So yeah, I'll make him that sacrifice. Granted, you know, Al has that confidence that Ed's going to come back for him. But yeah, it's just super. I, I love that. I love that. I love when like Al meets his body and his, they're both kind of like, we trust our brother. You know, there's that moment you see Al's armor disappear and it's just, it's emotional. And then, and I love this too, the detail in the show. I don't think they had to do this, but when Ed's arm comes back, you see like the fingernails, like the fingernails are longer on that, on that hand. Like you can clearly see the nails and it's on purpose. Cause when you look at his other hand, there are no fingernails, and it's that thing of like, well, this one's been stuck there this whole time, you know, like not being taken care of, mm-hmm. and now he's got it back. And it's just that detail that makes his anime so great. Yeah, and like it's just the whole thing makes me, it makes me realize how great of an anime it is. There's also the part where everybody is just cheering on Ed after he. Like, he just, like, I think that was his snapping point when Alphonse sacrificed himself for Ed and he pulls the rebar out of him. And, yeah, he just loses it and starts just go letting Father have it. Like, he creates a spear and throws it at Father's face, taking out off half of Father's face. And then he just, yeah, it just, it keeps going. And then everybody's like, oh, snap, it's working. You know, keep going, Ed, keep going. And everybody's just yelling at him. and cheering him on and stuff. So it also just shows like how the relationships he's built with people over this time. Yeah. And I would say this, uh, man, the, and like how you said, like these two episodes go right together. Cause we had a whole fight with father that first episode and Ed kind of what like takes out father. I wouldn't say fairly quickly, but he takes him out when he's got both his arms. Um, you know, fairly, I guess, fairly quickly. I can't find a better word to say it. Uh, but he takes him out, you know, swiftly. And we get this whole other side with uh, Father in his true, truest form, Dwarf in the, in the jar form. And he's talking the truth, and he gets reabsorbed. And I'm like, you know what? This is a, it's it's one of those things where, like, the evil villain just wants all the knowledge in the world and their thirst for knowledge couldn't be quenched. And they're always like, is it a crime just to want to know everything? And I feel in a way, I feel like I could understand the the father at that moment where it's just like, you know, sometimes you never feel like you're satisfied. You get one thing and you're like, Oh, but I want that other thing too. And I feel like that's how father was his whole, his whole life. Cause at the end we find out that he was like, I just, if I could have one thing, I would just not want to live my life in this jar. And then he got that, but then he wanted more and more. And then he ended up back where he started. Yeah. He, so then I think it's it. what truth said, I think revealed a lot because he essentially mocked father and then it also what truth says to edward at the end like there's a lot of reflection there or a lot of i guess two sides of the same coin i guess it would be a better way of saying it so 
with with father, it seems like his greatest sin or his greatest folly was that he thought he could be as powerful as God. And he did everything he could to be superior to humans because naturally God is superior to humans. So for him to be God, he has to be better than humans. And we see that throughout the whole series, how he thinks of himself as being superior in power and whatnot and humans being nothing but power. And then he's like, yeah, Truth is like, yeah, you 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 kind of overlooked where you came from. You saw yourself as being better than humanity. Uh, all of that stuff, you know. Um, he he saw himself as being better than humanity. He saw himself as uh, as being able to take a power that doesn't belong to him, God's power, and all that stuff. And so he you know committed the ultimate sin, if you will. Uh, by trying to become God. Whereas on the flip side, and what we see throughout the whole series about people getting punished for trying to play God by bringing people back to life, Ed sacrifices his gate. And the gate is his ability to do alchemy. And I guess anybody's ability to do alchemy. And alchemy is essentially, you know, kind of, as Scar always puts it, it is kind of God's power, the ability to create and destroy and Ed says, hey, you know what? I don't need this power. This power has led me astray many times. It's made me think I was more powerful than I am, but really I'm just another person. And do I really need all this power when I have all these great relationships in my life? And the truth is like, yep, you beat me. So it's like the common theme is like self-discovery, self-growth, and not being and not trying to think too highly of yourself or trying to become better than everyone else. Just try to be better than you and build relationships with the people around you where his father isolated himself and try to become godlike and whatnot. Yeah, and just... Like... Um, yeah, it was just... It was great seeing Ed come full circle, being like, I don't need alchemy in my life. Uh, it does, I guess, yeah, it's true. Like, alchemy only caused more problems for him. And at the end, it was to give up alchemy, was to solve all the problems, to like kind of fix everything he's done. And I love how truth was like, that's the right answer, you know. And <laughs> a little part of me is like, do you think that, you know, Mustang can go through and also like are these people who've seen truth gonna go back in and be like sacrifice their alchemy to get their lives back because you know we've got two other characters who uh have seen truth uh, one willingly and one unwillingly but you know i don't know is it worth not doing alchemy anymore to get your vision back um I don't know. I mean, there's one more episode, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, maybe they will. I mean, at least there's there's an out, so to speak, for them to sacrifice their alchemy in order to get their, get whatever it is back. Uh, but, yeah, it looks like that was what Truth always was there for, was to punish people who played God. And by Ed having that realization that, hey, I don't need alchemy to be happy or feel fulfilled. And yeah, all I need is, you know, the friends that I have and the relationships and everything. That's what made, you know, truth was, I mean, at first he seemed shocked that 
that you know he had like that shocked look on his face well as much as he can considering he, all he has is a mouth uh when ed said he was sacrificing his gate and then you could tell he was trying to like go to ed into not doing so by keep saying are you sure you want to do this you'll just be a lowly human and stuff but then ed still says uh yeah i'm fine but i think that's the great part like how it's kind of, and I guess this is like a great lesson and it's just like, you know, being happy with what life has given you and appreciating what you have around you already and not wanting more. Because everyone who saw truth wanted more. I mean, yes, and like, I feel for all the characters, like Azumi, she wanted her child and the brothers, they wanted to see their mom. And it's just like, it's, they they wanted more and they, they wanted to mess with, how, with the plans of life. And Truth was like, you know what? Just having, being yourself and just being human and just doing this one thing, that's, that's enough. And I feel like Truth felt relieved. But what a great point for that. Like, that, I, I don't know. We got one more episode left, but I love how it it just came all back around and just the, the nice, like the best way. Yes, it was just perfect. I, I think this was a perfect way to end like the overall arc. Now, granted, technically we're not ending it. There is one more episode and it's kind of the the epilogue, if you will. Uh, but, you know, like pretty much this ends in enough. Well, actually it doesn't end it because there's one major thing that the episode has that we haven't talked about yet and that's Hohenheim's death and yeah like that one I mean Grant I don't think I like I it's hard to say it because it just sounds weird but like I feel like Hughes's death was the was like the upper echelon of deaths in the series like nothing like in the sense that nothing could be sadder than that but I would put like Hohenheim's as a number two because like we've gotten to know him but then it's also not that sad because he's finally like he finally made it kind of thing. He finally he finally gets to be with Trisha in the afterlife, assuming that there is an afterlife in the full metal alchemist universe. And then, you know, he he yeah, I mean it was just great. Like he 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 felt fulfilled. He he realized that, you know, all he needed was his family. His family is what really made him feel alive despite having been alive for four hundred years plus and yeah, I I liked it a lot that ending, even though it was sad to see him die. Yeah, I I do think Hohenheim fulfilled what he wanted to. I do. I mean, it wasn't his fault. All this father stuff, you know. I don't. He didn't really know what was going on. He was kept in the dark the whole time. But he did feel responsible. I feel like in a way of it, and he undid what was done, and he showed that. I feel like he made amends with his sons and now he gets to be with his true love uh, forever. I mean, we don't know if there's an afterlife in this universe, but in my mind, that's what he was doing at her grave. Like he was like, I finally get to rest. I finally get to be with you. Uh, It was just, I mean, the feels in these episodes, man, the feelings that I get, like, it's like, I mean, as it should be, a very climactic ending for everything. I wouldn't say that 
See, I don't want to say that these episodes were like a payoff for the anime because I feel like every episode gave me a payoff for something. Like I never had to wait too long for something to like this this anime to reward me. But I felt like they were like this was like a big thank you for watching it all through and just like you know we gave you a amazing battle and then we gave you like this uh, very touching moment with with ed and truth and al coming back and with hohenheim and his wife you know there was one thing i could have done without in this episode and that is ed handing tiny baby pride to mrs bradley like i don't know what she's gonna do with that first of all and it was just like I know it was it gave her comfort, but you know, we could have just assumed that that happened. I didn't need to see it. I guess they wanted to make it clear that that was what happened. But yeah, you're right. It was kind of weird that they showed that. But it was also like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like they they wanted to make, yeah, I guess they wanted to make it clear or make it clear that he did something with it instead of just leaving it on the ground. And of course we know Ed has this big rule about killing people. So he didn't. Uh, so yeah, he didn't want to kill anybody, uh, or he didn't want to kill Pride, even though Pride technically wasn't a human. He still didn't want to kill it. Um, though I guess is Pride going to grow up? Like, is that thing going to grow up, or is it stuck like tiny, tiny fetus? I mean, it's just it's weird to me. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, that's kind of unclear, like, what's going to happen to the baby or what's going to happen to that little fetus. If is, it, is it going to become a human? Is it going to become a homunculus? Is it, like, what? what's its story kind of thing? But, I mean, sorry to break the mood, but, I mean, that, that was that's big in my notes because it's, like, because it's happening in between, like, some really emotional stuff, and it's just, like, it, threw, it throws me off. I mean... I'm glad that she's kind of getting some closure and she loved her son so much. So, and it's interesting, like Bradley's name doesn't get thrown in the mud. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, you know what? It's easier to be like, he died in the fight and we continue than to kind of have to explain all of this. Yeah. I think my get my, guess would be that it's like the bad seed argument rather than acting like the entire government was corrupt acting like there was a coup by a few bad actors because if, if the entire government was corrupt then probably the regular citizens would have a hard time trusting the government so any new officials would be difficult but like if it was just like no, the government was fine. It just had a few bad actors and they were so bad that they tried to do a coup and kill everyone, including any, they successfully killed the Fuhrer and his son. So then it makes it seem like, I guess, less bad. So now they can trust the government again. But I mean, I hope our listeners are just like me and like, so I feel so fulfilled. I'm ready for this last episode. I don't know what we're going to get. And I hope it's just like great emotional things. I have a prediction for next episode. I don't want to say it, yeah. but I'll let you know if it comes true. I'll next, next week I'll let you know my prediction comes right, but I am excited and I'm sad. Cause you know, we got one more episode left and that means like we're coming to an end to this. But it's exciting. 
it's exciting and it's sad and I'm happy. So I'm ready for next week. I know. Indeed. Me too. But yeah, this is all I've got. So I guess we will uh, wrap this up and see you all next week as we, well, wrap up the entire show. Uh, thank you for listening to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye.